When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to this special edition of the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Friday, December 10th, 2021. I'm Maggie Lake here with Rao Powell and we are coming to you from the Real Vision Takeover at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas, live, right? Doesn't sound good to say that, Rao. I know, it's weird. <laughs> I'm, having not really been off this hot, salty rock for 21 months and suddenly here we are surrounded by, I don't know, 500 people. Yeah. It's amazing. And this, this, is, this is my first event in, certainly in years before the pandemic started. Oh, yeah. Um, we've all been, and yours too, but really first time off Cayman, is that right? Yeah, no, I had one holiday last month, but that was the first time I was off. And what's weird is like meeting you for the yeah. first time properly and half the Real Vision people. Yeah, full disclosure, many of us have not met in person for no, the first Real time. Because Real has gone from 45 people to 150 people over those two years. It's, it's, it's great. And the, it's, it's so nice, and I think we are hoping we can all look forward to this, to have the energy that's here um, is fantastic. And the special thing about doing it at MGM, um, we were just talking before, is we get off and we've got the Real Vision crowd here. and. We didn't know, but it's also the National Federation Rodeo. So we've got a ton of cowboys. So we got cowboys in crypto. And then I understand that. Most, some people say they're the same thing. Yeah, and they might be. <laughs> I did see, I did see a few hats sneaking around. And then, we, and then we've got hockey. I don't know if you know this, a big hockey game coming. Right. So we're gonna have sticks added to that too. It's just, it's just great, but it's community, right? Which I know you talk about all the time. Yeah, yeah it's, it's quite funny. I was talking, I had an interview this morning with Sergio Silva, and we were talking about NFTs and communities and how they're identifiers. And he actually said, by the way, that's all those people wearing cowboy hats are. Right. They're identifying as country and Western fans. They like a certain way of life and a certain type of music. And it's no different to having a crypto punk. It's what humans do. They self-identify. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, that's fascinating. I know, and I love the, I love the human thread in it. We're going to dive in um, a little bit more to some of the topics we're talking about, especially for folks who aren't here and maybe some people who are listening who are not as familiar or who are earlier on the learning journey when it comes to things like blockchain. That's one of the big things we're talking about here in crypto. Um, we get a lot of questions coming in about that. So we're going to dig into that a little bit. But um, every day, of course, in the daily briefing, we covered the day's news and we had a really high inflation reading today, highest, I think, uh, consumer prices since 1982. Um, that affects a lot of people in their pocketbooks, but also they're really trying to figure out, what do I do around this? You know, what does this mean for my retirement, my portfolio? W what do you make of the number, and is it something that concerns you? Look, it concerns everybody because the cost of goods that we consume goes up. Now, if you look at real wages, they're not going up as fast. So mm. wage wage rises, they are there, they're not as fast as the cost of goods. So what that means is everyone's getting poorer. Yeah, so, and, and they feel it immediately with this. You know, well, that's this one is, of those, especially and, consumer prices. And this is something I've been banging the drum about for a while. I said, look, we know inflation's coming. We know it's driven by supply chain issues. Yeah. We know there's a structural shift in the economy going on. But if you raise prices on people who are already up to here in debt, yeah. then what do you do? You stop consumption. 
So if you stop consumption, what you're doing is baking the cake a potential slowdown later. Yeah. So the Fed are tapering the balance sheet. They're talking about, are they going to raise rates at the same time where you're beating the consumer over the head with higher prices? That feels to me that 2022 is not going to be the year people expect it to be. I've said for a while, I think it's going to be a lot weaker economically yeah. than people realize. And it doesn't help that we've got the new, um, the, the new virus mutation that's going on as well. That's also creating this people saying, well, I'm not sure do I want to travel. It's like my mum, was she going to go? She lives in Spain. She's going to see my sister in the UK. She's like, maybe I won't travel. Yeah. And so all of those things together, A, create more supply chain issues, which means that this inflation stuff could be longer lasting than we thought. Yeah. I thought it was going to be more transitory. But if the supply chain issues continue, then that's a problem. But I'm really worried about consumption. Yeah. And you've got a potential policy change happening to deal with one of the side, one issue while growth is slowing. That's not, a, that, you know, are they going to make them, it, it raises the odds they make a mistake, I think. Right? Yeah. And the markets will tell you pretty quick. Yeah. Um, the bond market, you know, yields aren't rising. And the long end especially, I think, tells you everything you need to know. Yeah, and I've always said that. It's yeah. like the, the truth is always there in the 10-year bond yields. Yeah. If I need to look at one thing on earth, I'll look at that and then the dollar. Yeah. The dollar's been going up, but this, and that, that actually lowers future inflationary forces. But the 10 years telling you inflation's not out of control for a longer period of time. Two years have gone up quite a lot, but I worry that's going to create some more volatility in the stock market as well. And is that also related to what's going on in the crypto markets? Possibly. And that adds to people's sense of uncertainty, right? When you add that on, because right. a lot, not stock ownership, always a, uh, a fallacy around that, not very wide in the US. However, a lot more people's retirement is tied to it. So their sense yeah. of well-being, even if they don't directly own it, tends to, tends to be affected. We actually have some questions about inflation. I was surprised at how many came through. Um, inflation came in hot today. This is from TJ on the exchange, thank you. Inflation came in hot today, although probably widely anticipated. 10-year US barely moved. Is the market of truth telling us that economic growth is not coming? And, is, and these CPI, high CPI prints, are not driven by growth inflation. That's, you just, that's yes, exactly, exactly my point. It's been my point for a yes. while, is this is a very different issue and inflation comes in different ways. This is a very specific issue. Yeah. We don't know how long it's going to last, but I think it's going to create economic damage because it's not driven by demand. Yeah, and, and this is from Jack. Um, I listened to Julian Bridgeton on the latest version of Macro Voices last night, who did a detailed presentation on why he's incredibly bearish in the short to medium term due to inflation caused by the Fed overdoing post-COVID stimulus. He contends the Fed will need to react equally aggressive in the opposite direction, tapering and rising, raising rather interest rates. Uh, two questions. If you are aware of Julian's revised point of view, which I assume you are, do you agree? And I guess on the, on the idea that the Fed is going to have to aggressively act in the opposite direction. So I don't have the same view because if it was demand-led inflation mm. and you, rise, you raise interest rates, you're curtailing demand. Mm -hmm. So that slows down the rate of inflation. Mm -hmm. If it's not demand-led and it's supply-led, all you're going to do is make the economic pain worse. Yeah. So I just don't agree with that point of view because yeah. I do not see it being demand-led. And, and that's, the, that's the big difference. And, and, what's, and what's Julian's always, he loves an inflation story. He's an inflationist <laughs> well, at heart and I'm a deflationist there's, at heart. And, the, and there's a divide because I will have people on sometimes one day after the other. And this is a point that has longtime market 
experienced market people divided because there are some who, who agree with you and, and I really believe that we are in a broad deflation and we're all kind of headed the way of Japan. And then there are many who kind of are giving lots of fantastic reasons about why they think inflation. So it's fascinating. There's not agreement, even among people who no, have a lot of experience. No, and I've stuck to using demographics as my guide to, deflate, mm -hmm. to inflation, and it's worked perfectly. I did that big, long piece with Robert Breedlove that explained why and how and what. I just don't think structurally we can generate inflation of extended periods of time because there's too much debt in the economy and the population's too old. So if you do raise inflation, consumption comes down, inflation comes down again. Yeah. So when, when people are looking at the inflation that's happening, wondering how to, how to deal with it in terms of their portfolio, one of the questions we've got, we have a lot of people who've been dipping their toe in Bitcoin, some long time, but some newer to the market, and they've been, there's been a lot of volatility, and we get questions all the time, and we have some, we'll go over what your forecasts are in terms of price action, but what do you make of, of the recent volatility we've seen in Bitcoin. Is it par for the course for someone who's been looking at it for longer or is, does, it, does something feel new about this? Something feels new, not in terms of the volatility, it's roughly where it has been. It's been choppier, you know, basically since March to May, you know, Bitcoin top first, then Ethereum, they really haven't broken out again. Mm. So they've been this big kind of sloppy range that goes up and down a lot. And I've been thinking about that because normally, at this point in the crypto cycle, you'd have seen mass retail participation and this explosive run. I was expecting it, as was many, has materialized. Why? Now, is there a structural change in the market? Or is it because crypto is discretionary spending or discretionary investment? And if you've raised prices on people, they have less money, retail participation, to put into crypto. Hmm. So, so maybe, maybe that's why the flow. So we've not seen the kind of number of new wallets and all of the other metrics follow when we had the recent high. And it makes me think that people don't have money to put in. That would be a cause. What if it's a symptom? What if they feel insecure and they see it as a risk asset? And they, they don't, don't want see to it as a risk asset because the, the narrative is like, this is a long-term inflation hedge. Yeah. And we'll talk a bit about that because it's not traditional inflation. Right. It's actually about central bank debasement. Mm. And the central bank debasement is slowing its rate of change because they're tapering, mm. i.e. They're, they're, they're injecting less money each month in. So it's that that it reacts to and not to inflation numbers. Mm. They're two different things. Okay, right. That's important to point out because yeah. people will see a print like this and say, wait a minute, that's what I'm supposed to hedge against. Yeah. That's the, that's the wrong and type of thing. In the end, we're talking about inflation that's running at 6 7% a year. Mm. Well, Bitcoin's up 100% and Ethereum's up 500%. So it's more than accommodated. But people think it needs to be tick for tick correlated. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. What it is, is a long-term method for sidestepping the devaluation of fiat currency, along with, more importantly, a call option in the future of technology and Web3 and all of the new things that are being built. Yeah, so, so that's an interesting distinction. And do you think that answers the question? So uh, one of our uh, frequent contributors, Jim Bianco, was on with me last week and he got questions about Bitcoin. Why is it going down or what do you see happening? And he said, um, I'm very frustrated. I thought it was going to trade differently and, and trade as an alternative to some of the other asset classes that we're in. And it seems to be uh, trading in tandem with risk assets 
and that pisses me off. Do you think that that's happening? And no, because I think we're looking at it too short-term time horizon. Mm. But maybe it's still this factor of discretionary spending. How much money can you put in? Can you put your hundred dollars a month into your crypto portfolio, mm. or is that now going in the in the gas tank of your car mm. and on your grocery bill? Right? Yeah. That, that's a meaningful difference to people, and the same will affect equity markets. So, are the Robin Hood traders able to deploy as much capital into opportunities? The answer is probably not. It's what not like everyone of, has what limitless. What did you make of that? What did you make of the whole of, of, of this uh, this uh, increased participation through those vehicles? Um, we we know that people feel like it's democratizing. It's bringing a whole new group of investors in. Um, but there are also some that I talk to who worry that. They, that it's creating risk, especially since it's so concentrated in some names, like Tesla. And maybe that the, those same uh, participants are levering up in a way and playing in the options market that they might, might not understand. And that creates systemic risk. See, I Sour grapes or? I can't abide that. Yeah, because what yeah. you're saying is, unless you invest how I want you to invest, uh -huh. you shouldn't be allowed to do that. Old school I, thinking of yeah, people who Yeah, I think it's are, nonsense. Mm. I think, it's actually pretty intelligent how they've used options and caught onto options. Mm -hmm. Don't forget, these, this generation of 30-something-year-olds, the millennials, got screwed over by the system. They have massive Absolutely. debts from education. Absolutely. They have no ability to buy property. Mm -hmm. They have no upside. They've got all-time record valuation in equity markets, real estate markets, bond markets. How are they supposed to make wealth? Right. So they are risk-takers by nature. They learned it in gaming. That's such an important point. Yeah, and so they come at a different mentality. Good off for them. They will learn the lessons of yeah. what's too much they're betting on their options. And, yeah. and, and, you know, they've also learned that crowd behavior works as well, and they can corral a community around an idea and participate together. So I just think it's different. And people look at the amount of options trading and go, this is excess speculation. No, this is a whole different group of people who trade in a different way, much like when the systems funds and algos came into the market and was like, oh God, they're terrible. The world's going to blow up. No, they still exist. They just trade in a different way. So you don't think the gamification, people say that like it's a dirty word, the gamification of Of course they do, trading. because it's supposed to be about your RIA advising you how to invest, <laughs> and it should be about value investing and cash flows and how dare they buy bankrupt companies. Wow. I'm sorry, but nobody has the right to tell them what they should or shouldn't do. Yeah. That's the point of democratization. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I want to get to some of the themes we're talking about here. We have so many good questions. Mark is asking, Raul, well, I've been dying to ask in a DB, uh, have your views on the retirement crisis changed, evolved since you made the original video? Uh, yes, and it's too long for this. I was going to say <laughs> that that's a big question, but... One thing is the pension system is less underfunded, but the reality is, is if you've debased the currency, your actual dollar is worth less in terms of stuff. So. It, it looks less underfunded because assets have gone up, mm -hmm. but the reality is, is the purchasing power of those assets hasn't increased. So I think it's still a huge problem. I think the, um, the baby boom generation will diversify out of those assets. What I did not see 
was the Robinhood traders. Ah. I knew it was coming to crypto yeah. and I said that in the first thing yeah. and this is the big opportunity. And those guys have taken that. I didn't think they were gonna use options as another way of participating in the market. So yes, it's, it's changing. Yeah. But what I'm seeing is the millennials are taking risks in a way that is intelligent for them because right. they've got nothing to lose. Right. But they've Which, got everything Louis to gain. Frank has brought that up too. Why not go? And, and if you lose, you already are. You've already lost. You already and, have nothing. But if you win, you're up 10x. And, and it's and, you, know. Uh, you know I've mentioned this before. Is what really annoys me again is people tutting at the, these people saying that's not how you do things. This is the same people on yeah. Twitter who won't be held accountable for losses. Right. Well, on on Reddit, these people have got loss porn going on. They're like, God, look how much money I lost today. <laughs> So they're being honest about yeah. what they're doing. They understand the risk, but they're also enjoying it. YOLO is a real thing. Yeah, and, and by the way, this is part of the transparency that that this generation in some ways is going to demand. I mean, yeah. that they, they didn't have it. They understand that. It's not just transparency, it's power. Yeah. And, and um, they want to see, they want to have access. They don't want the middlemen in. And they're exercising in a power that they know pisses off that's part of it, though, right? Of course it yeah. is. The revolution. Yeah. Um, we have a we have a question. Uh, this is from Bill. Crypto question. Uh, and this this I think this is touching a little bit. Um, Mark Yesko in a in a segment this morning. Fantastic conversation. Um, floated his own theory when we were talking. They were talking about the volatility, saying the minute futures came in and we had the EF. ETFs and some of the developments in Bitcoin, um, and you have more institutional participation, it gave them the opportunity to short. Yeah. And so maybe you're seeing some of that play in, and I think Bill is asking a question around that. Institutional money is coming and holders today are front running them. Why would institutions still allocate in crypto in Q1 knowing the Fed's tightening, and what would that do to asset prices? Why wouldn't they just wait on the allocation until the Fed concludes tightening? So there is no correlation necessarily between crypto prices and Fed tightening. Mm -hmm. So we haven't seen that. Okay. And institutions move slowly. Mm. So it's taken them two years to get the approval to trade. And mm. you know, I've spoken to a number of people here, whether it's you know, Fireblocks or whether it's the guys at Luca, talking about all they're doing is onboarding these people. And mm -hmm. it takes them a year to get their, their investment committee approvals and then they need to set up their back office infrastructure and do all of this. So what they're thinking of is a long-term allocation. They're not traders, these institutions. Yeah. They're thinking, okay, we want to put 2% of our portfolio in crypto and we have to start somewhere. And usually they all act like sheep because they start at the beginning of the year. So the investment committee <laughs> says, still in, fine, from next year's budget, the... of course it is. And then they operate quarterly yeah. and they rebalance. And that does change the structure of markets. Because if crypto's gone up a lot or gone down, if it's gone up a lot, they'll sell some to reduce the exposure back to where they want it to be, their 2%. Mm. But if it's fallen, they'll buy it. So it does dampen volatility over time and yeah. change the structure of markets. I think it's a good thing. Do you th what, what about Mark's comment that there may be, if there's a sort of institutional, because in some ways this is a threat to traditional institutions. Um, do you think they're shorting it or do you think there's any, the more institutions get involved, does it change the dynamic at all? So what? I mean, the point yeah. being is why are we tutting at futures traders for shorting it? Yeah. It's a free market. Right. People should be able to take the view if we're right. And it can withstand it. It should withstand it if it's a... Of course yeah. it should. Yeah. If it's a real asset and it's got real value over time and it's going to go exponential over time, then it's just part of the market. So it doesn't really matter. And people can get frustrated in the short term because it's not following what they 
would like it to do. Yeah. Market doesn't do what you would like it to do, it does what it does, yeah. and you have to adjust accordingly to that. One of the great things I think in the conversations and part of the ethos of Real Vision is not talking about all of the time, uh, what's happened, happening in the moment, but trying to really look ahead about what's coming and where the trends are going. We have a lot of people, and we get these questions all the time, is Bitcoin going to hit 50K? Is, uh, that's from uh, one of our viewers. Is ETH going to outperform Bitcoin over the next? Should we be looking at price levels and that? It almost seems like it, it's the same way we used to view stock prices. Is that the way we should be thinking about no, this I, technology? And I think this look, is- Look, some people are traders. They're mm -hmm. short term, they want to buy and sell. I don't think that's the right thing to do in exponential trends. Mm -hmm. They're volatile by nature. And what you're, all you're looking for is what is the network adoption? Are people joining the network? Are people building on top of it? That's all that matters because price will follow. So trying to figure out you know, where the price is going to be at any one point in time. And I, I wrote a tweet thread about this. It's like there are no gurus. Nobody yeah. knows. Everyone's just trying to figure it out best we can based on the experience that we have. And the market will go where it goes. But the hypothesis, that's the thing you need to test. And the hypothesis is not, does Bitcoin go down to 40K? Does it go up to, does it end the year here? It's not that. The hypothesis is, if we're right, this whole Web3 revolution means there is a mass adoption of this space. Is that happening? Mm -hmm. And by all accounts, all we're seeing is continued adoption. So we're, we're talking a lot about, uh, at this event, about blockchain, about NFTs, huge interest in NFTs. Everybody wants to know, and, and, and blockchain. Um, anecdotally, I experienced this over Thanksgiving, sitting at the table, and my 70-something father-in-law uh, said, out of nowhere, uh, over his glasses, what's blockchain? What's, what's crypto? And my daughter and I looked at each other because she had recently quipped to me, can you imagine explaining this to a pilgrim? And then the, day, the next day we hear him say that and we looked at each other and said, oh, he's a pilgrim. Like how, how can we even begin to explain this? How should, um, how should people be thinking about why this is important? So I'm going to make sure that, that we tweet out one of the speakers who was at Congress and spoke to Congress and explained this. But what is going on is we're building the third version of the internet mm. of which we can participate and own parts of it. So the difference I'm going to explain before is if you think of Facebook, it's one of the biggest networks on earth. We got the benefit of using the network and connecting with our friends and family and the shareholders got rich because of network effects, Metcalfe's law. Because they owned it. Because they owned it. Now, we used it, this and we were the commodity in, in and many And what it cases. did, it concentrated the power into Facebook, Google, and these others. This new part is a decentralization of that entire structure. We're pulling apart that structure and rebuilding it by giving the network participants ownership of the network too. So that creates massive behavioral incentives for this to work, because suddenly you want this to work because the value of the network is going to go up and because you own a part of the network, the token, you're going to make money from it. That's incredibly powerful. You give humans an incentive like that, mm. it will explode. It's unstoppable because of that. And it also gets rid of or disrupts some of the existing problems of these massive corporations having control over the internet, what we see, what we read, how we operate, in so much so that they affect our behavior to serve ads to us, create anger, to create fear, and 
And we've, a, we've, we've, if we haven't seen that in this past year, I mean. Yeah, and also, you know, I, I find it amazing that people worry about government and giving over our information to governments and stuff. When we've basically given everything to Google and Facebook. Yeah. Everything we do, everywhere we've ever gone, what time we get out of bed, what time we check our phones, who we're with, they know every single part. Mm -hmm. Even those nest cams in your house, the, the nest creepy, in yeah. your house knows when you're on holiday, yep. when you're back, what time you wake up, what room you're Well, you know because in. the ad pops up five seconds after you talked about something with, with and, apparently and nothing on. So why does Google yeah. own Nest? Yeah. Because when you come into your house, what do you do? You put your phone down. So now it knows where you are in your house at any one point. Things that your big, phone yeah, is exactly. not giving you the information of because your phone stops moving, but the house now tells you where you are. I mean, this is incredible. So one of the interesting things, and when, uh, when we ca you kicked off the event last night with Bill Tai, one of the, I think, things that is so uh, fascinating and encouraging is all the optimism around that, right? And the fact that there is a, a sort of pullback of ownership and an opportunity to change the narrative, which is fantastic. One of the things that struck me when you were talking as somebody who's earlier on this journey as well, like some of our viewers, is when you were talking about, um, he, he's an early investor, um, and hopefully we'll have some highlights that have been at on so many companies, right? Twitter, Zoom, and, and one of the people that I know you think sees around corners as well. And when you were both talking, you were talking about the value you see and why you're interested and why you invest in things. You were never talking about the ability for the value to jump year on year. You weren't, you weren't really focused on that. You were focused on um, the community around it. What, that, that seems to me a, a completely different framework that we're going to have to think about in terms of how we look at this. Why is that important? How does that fit into this, this new technology? Because if we go back to what I said, this is about participation in networks and the role that we play. So a network is a community of people that have economic incentives to be connected. So it all becomes about what the community does for the network, which is a way of coalescing um, ideas around a group of people who are, who are incentivized to help grow the network. So that's why community is the most important concept here, because they will make things succeed or fail. Yeah. And so that's what I'm talking about when I talk about Metcalfe's Law and network participation and adoption rates. It's how robust is that community? Is it growing? And are they doing cool shit on this thing? <laughs> and that's basically what it is. And the whole space is that. NFTs are that. Layer tokens are that. All the application layers. DeFi is that. It's all the same thing. Yeah. And that's why it's actually quite easy to understand once you understand. And I think that is key. That, 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 that helps for those who haven't sort of jumped in here because I think many people think the barrier of understanding is really high because it's technology and it's all this technology that I don't understand but when when you talk about it that's not really what the focus no, is. No and, and what it unlocks is stuff like culture becomes an investment because you become you can be part of a community let's say a pop star and if they have a token you can now be part of the success of that pop star. So if you discover Coldplay when they're playing in a small... <laughs> you, when you uh, suffered, uh, yeah, uh, like in uh, the small dingy bag. Yeah, that's place, right. And you saw music was, lovers love to do. They saw 10 people and it was, you, know, <laughs> you liked them before they were cool. And suddenly they become the biggest band in the world. You'll have got equity participation or token participation in that ecosystem. And you'll have got rich. Now, 
people can't get their heads around this. So I refer to this now as universal basic equity. So you participate in these different communities, you have a stake in them, if those communities thrive, you get rewarded with the value of your participation going up. That's incredible. And it's also, it's also income and the potential for wealth that did not exist before, and so outside of the traditional. So you understand now why people are leaving the employment. The great resignation. I, I have been saying, where are they going? Where are all these people going? Well, so there's unheard a, of. There was a whole bunch gone into crypto. Mm. And it's not they're crypto traders at home in their garages um, trading crypto. Which is what no, everyone No, they're participating thinks. in communities and spending their time in Discord channels, building out new projects that get more intrinsic value and the values of the tokens then allow them to buy another asset like a crypto punk and because that's part of another community and that community is vibrant that's going up now it doesn't mean that everything goes up all the time there's no there's no magic here right yeah. things will collapse in price as well if you're not part of a vibrant community or which is why you have to evaluate that that's yeah. right and you know you'll be thinking what communities and there'll be times when that community is not doing well and your token will suffer and you'll feel terrible and you might want to abandon the community or you might not. You yeah. might want to double down and yeah. say, I need to help this community. Yeah. It's a whole different whole way. A whole different way of looking at it. It's amazing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Um, we have a question, um, and this is, I think, just because you, the minute you said Discord channel, all of us are like, what? Like, it, you, some people don't even know what that is. And this is from Jane. What's the best way for a senior on a limited income to start with crypto? Best place to, or information to learn? Real Vision Crypto. We set it up specifically <laughs> for this. That's why it's free. We didn't plan that question, by the way, folks. No, but it's, but it's true. specifically yeah. set up because I'm so passionate about this. As is everybody at Real Vision, like, here's a parallel financial universe. Everybody can participate on an equal footing. This is too dr true democratization. And so we need to help people in that journey. Because if you remember, I started Real Vision with the idea that people had come up to me saying, why didn't we know about the financial crisis? Yeah. Why didn't we know about the European crisis? And I realized that I had no, there was no way of telling people in the media, traditional media weren't good at doing it. Yeah. Because their incentivization was to, was to the banks and the yeah. others who would tend to be sponsors and stuff like that. So I thought we need to tell people that was why we started Real Vision. So equally, if Real Vision starts to tell people about risks, if we see the biggest opportunity that we've ever been given in the fastest growing asset in all recorded history, with the fastest growing adoption of technology in all recorded history, we should be yelling from the rooftops. Yeah. And instead of charging people for it, we took amazing sponsors on board to help bring everybody this opportunity so nobody can come to me, look me in the eye and say, why didn't we know? Yeah. That's the point. Absolutely. And I think that um, where it is elsewhere, as somebody who was trying to learn before I came to you, it's again all about the price and it moved up this and it moved up that. It's not really what's going on underneath the curtain. And that, that's the part that we all need to understand. Um, can we go over a little bit? Or do we have to wrap? 100%, okay. <laughs> Just full disclosure, there are people here counting us down, but I want to get this last question yeah, we're, in. We're not in charge of our own <laughs> destiny here. <laughs> They're so fabulous, they keep us on track, but this is important. But don't trust Brian, whatever you do. <laughs> um, because this question, um, I think the, the one place where people are 
um, attracted to and getting into it and, and is bringing some people into the conversation about blockchain and crypto is music. Because we've seen, I mean, we've got everywhere you look, it's kind of exploding. There are commercials on TV, there's Tom Brady, and there's things going on with sports stars and music. The music industry is hugely around NFTs. Um, Ralph is asking, can Raul tell us how crypto will fit into the music business? But I'll add in NFTs as well. And we've got a huge music component conversation happening here, don't we? Yeah, we got Timberland here. You're one of the world's most famous, <laughs> successful producers. And I'm we're going to all like try to look cool, I don't know, in that environment, which is going to be hard, right? Maybe not for you, Ralph, but for the rest so, of us. So, why music? So music's really interesting, and I'm heavily involved in this as well, um, is massive communities. Again, that, that's the base here. That's Music important. is now spread across things like TikTok by individuals promoting songs not to get paid because they like a song and they can make it memeified and they get attention. Once you tokenize it, they will get paid to do that essentially by the network value going up. But if you think about the, the disruption of what crypto does, it destroys middlemen. If you are a pop star, however powerful you are, you lose about 80% of your economics to everybody else. Which has been infuriating those because yeah. you've seen seen especially the younger ones rail kind of so railing. So it goes to that. Spotify, it goes to Ticketmaster, it goes to the ticket stouts and the touts and StubHub, it goes to the marketing, it goes to the IP, it goes to the lawyers, it goes to all of this. Blockchain solves a huge part of this issue. So we're gonna have conversations with people like Jack Splone and talking about music IP, how that's gonna change, how NFTs and music, how um, communities around music will participate by owning tokens in the artists that they want. What that unlocks for people, how they get access, closer access, so then the artists does not have to pay Google and Facebook to access their own fans mm. to tell them about their latest tour. It changes the dynamics. So this is really big. It's also, once music itself ends up on blockchain, then as it gets abused online by people using its rights without paying for it, you can record it. Right now, there's a whole industry set up to police this, but when it's on blockchain, you kind of know where it's being played and by whom, and therefore, in the smart contract, there can be a streaming payment. And here's where the transparency part becomes exactly. really important. Exactly. So music is, everyone's eyeing music because it's gigantic. It's the cultural phenomena of our time, sports and music. And those two things are ripe for this. And I think it's what, for, for many, many who have, are on the outside and are not involved, it's something they understand. It's an on-ramp that makes sense to them because they're passionate about it. They get interested in it. And then they can see how it plugs into some of the other issues that you're talking about. Well, because about. in the end, most people don't care Ethereum, Solana, Bitcoin. They just don't care. Right now they care because this is the base layer of the networks and you can participate and you've made money from doing so. But the mass consumer adoption is how do I get, how do I invest in the culture? I don't now need to buy just the Nike trainers, but maybe I can have my Nike NFTs in the NFT. Wait a second, so explain that, tease that out. For, for the individual, it's how do I invest in the culture? Yeah, and so you're, and you don't even think of it as investment. You just think I want to be part of Participation. this. Participation. I want to participate, and maybe I get the tokens for free. Maybe I buy some of these tokens. Maybe they cost me ten dollars. But if I'm a great community member, it's a vibrant community. Let's say, let's say, Lady Gaga's community, Little Monsters, was tokenized in its beginning. It will have gone from a small group to the largest music group in the world mm. for a period of time. Mm. 
imagine the unlock of wealth that that does for everybody. And you're not robbing the pop star, you're creating new wealth. That's really important. You're not taking it from somewhere else. This is... Well, you are taking it from some middleman. Well, but it's... That's that's a great point. But it is for the individual, like newly found wealth that would not be able... And new economic activity that wouldn't exist anywhere else. 20 million rabid fans who have tokens in your network, why do you ever need a marketing budget again? You don't. These guys are going to go onto TikTok, Instagram, anything, and create content around it, try and make people listen to the new song, because the more people who like the new song, the more the tour sells out, the more merchandise sells out, the more the NFTs sell out, the more the value of the token goes up, the more people come into the network. It's genius. And it sounds like fantasy. I think the other really important point to get back to demographics, I have a 14-year-old and a 15-year-old. They are digital natives, oh, yeah. right? They just, this is the generation that's moving into or colliding with this technology are people who only grew up in that era, so arena. So for them, it's natural. It came up with Bill Tai. Every kid basically has grown up now. Everybody under the age of 14 has grown up with Roblox. Yeah. And there is money. Digital money so they for digital goods. they understand it. Not only do they understand it, they've traded it, they've sold it, they understand the <laughs> but economics But I mean, they understand it. the way that works for them. Completely. They understand that, yeah. And why would the world not work like that? Right. So that is a huge unlock that's coming, and that's the mass participation. So last question, because we did get specific ones around price action, but are you as bullish on the cryptocurrencies as you were? Has yes, anything I'm, changed? No, nothing's changed. I, I too have been surprised how slow it's been and how choppy it's been end of year. I think it's to do with consumer discretionary spending, a bit of the taper stuff. It's basically that, and I think a lot of the institutional investors will wait till next quarter. We know it's all coming. Also, tax selling and, and um, hedge funds squaring their books for the end of the Some year. Some of those pesky seasonal Yeah, and those hedge funds squaring their books didn't exist two years ago. But you know, having run a hedge fund myself, what you tend to do is buy about the first, second week of December, you want to get paid your bonus, you want to risk it, mm-hmm. you've had a good year, you've invested in crypto, you've done pretty well, you want to lock in the gains, you clean your portfolio up, and you wait to get paid, and you go away for Christmas. And then you come in January, and you're like, right, I've got a new P&L, what okay, do I do? <laughs> Buy it all back again. That's how it works. Awesome. Um, this was so fun, Rob. We have a, a huge day ahead of us. But thank you. I think it's important for the Daily Briefing audience to hear about some of the stuff that's happening because we get a lot of questions on it. And it's the beginning of the journey for some of them, maybe not for some others. Yeah, and I've said for a long time, Macro is crypto. Crypto is macro. There was some resistance to that, though, for uh, for a while. Because there's always a fear of change. Mm. And I don't understand this is not the world I know. Well, you didn't know about the derivative market until it came along, and then it became all-encompassing. So you just have to not impose your own wants and desires. You have to accept what is and where it may be going. Mm. Once you free yourself of your own biases, then it opens up a whole new world. Fantastic. Well, for me and and for the sessions I've listened to so far and what's happening, the beauty of it is the accessibility, right? So you don't have to have expertise in it to dive in and understand. um, And the democratizing information is so important. I'm so happy that we're able to do that. And also, the guy picked me up from the airport. He's like, oh, why are you here? I said, I'm coming to this blockchain conference. Blockchain goes, you know, I've just started buying Bitcoin. I said, great. He said, I put every day, I just put in a a dollar. Right, you can't do that in the equity market. No. You can't do it in anything. 
He goes, well, every day I just buy Bitcoin. I've been doing it for 60 days. dollar averaging in Bitcoin. It's fantastic. Just one dollar every day. It's like, that's genius. It is genius. And that is how democratized it is. Fantastic. Great. Thank you all so much. This was so much fun. We're going to get back uh, to the event, but we will be back the same time on Monday. Appreciate you all joining us. As always, the conversation uh, continues on the exchange. Take care and good luck out there. Take care, everyone. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.